What's going on, everybody? This is Dan and Steve of Process Potables, powered by Last Out Media. First in, Last Out, and we are celebrating the Sixers opening their season 1-0 with a 113-107 win over the Washington Wizards. This is episode 76, titled, Hell No, That's a Swim Move. Steve, we just sat through the first of potentially 72 of these regular season games for your 2020 2176ers. They trailed for a large part of the second half in this one, but they go to Joel Embiid down the stretch, who was absolutely unreal. I believe it was he had 15 in the fourth after only having 14 through the first three. It was at 15 and 14 or 14 and 15. That, I believe it was 14 and 15. Okay, yeah, I think yeah. I think that's right. So yeah, 15 points in the fourth quarter. This was reminiscent. I mean, when you talk about you know di- diving right into this, when you talk about what are we going to see different from this team, we've talked about all the different guys and you know the fit being better. You have Doc Rivers coming in as the head coach. You bring in this Im- impressive on paper coaching staff, and what is still the solution for this team? It's going to Joel Embiid. The difference to me didn't really seem much as far as design or scheme or fit it really seemed like Joel Embiid was just driven he looked like he could handle it he looked like you know his body was up to the task his mind was sharp he wasn't getting flustered with double teams we pointed out a couple times where you know he had a guy open across the floor that we were wishing he could see but that is a tough thing to do but nonetheless not really turning it over too much only three turnovers and when you consider the positions he was put in offensively, especially in that fourth quarter, I think you'll be fine every game if he's keeping that to around three, give or take, and being as efficient as he was as far as shooting the ball, good decision-making, everything like that. Ends the game with 29 points, 14 rebounds, two assists and a block. He goes 10 of 17 from the field, including one of one from three, and eight of nine from the line. So a, a huge night for Joel Embiid. I don't, I don't think... You can really look at anybody else tonight as a huge number two, but we will talk about a couple other guys who did play well and some who didn't. But, Steve, your initial thoughts just overall on the Sixers getting the win in the opener and a dominant performance to start the season by Joel Embiid. Yeah, now, when you mean number two, you mean as you know who's going to be the number two scorer or who just shit the bed tonight? Um, mm. Well, there's a little I bit mean, of both. Yeah, there, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, Dan, tonight is Festivus. I have a lot to complain oh, about. Boy, I have go. a lot of grievances. This is where you shine, man. But I'm not going to do it right now because I'm sure there's a lot of bad shit me and everyone else on Twitter tweeted, and there's a lot to take away from the game. But, I mean, dude, it's like you just said, it's the first of 72 games. I mean, I expected uh, at points this game seems sloppier than either of the two uh, preseason games. And, I think most of us kind of expect that for the first five, ten games at the very least. And uh, as sloppy as it was at times, I mean, down the stretch, I mean, MB just fucking showed up. He did what he did, what he's best at. And for all the things people wanted Joel and B to improve upon or a change, at the end of the, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's a coach, who's around him. And, and be just going to the post, defending just those things, what he does best, that's what's going to win you the games. 
Yeah, we we didn't see anything too different out of Joel Embiid. I think my biggest takeaway from him, and I'm really just going to focus on that stretch in the fourth where he was dominant on the offensive end, was he still got pretty much all his scoring in in the same ways you expect, either you know bully ball down on the block or his nice you know slow kind of patient mid range game kind of lull you to sleep, make you think he's going to drive and then hit that smooth mid range shot which was falling or getting to the line. The difference was, and again, we're talking about one game, but I feel like last year he went through these phases where he only wanted to do one of them. There were the times where yeah. maybe, you know, whether it was a mental thing, whether it was a conditioning thing, he didn't really feel like fighting his way down to the rim. So he was settling for a lot of the mid range. And then the voices would come in and be like, you have to get Joel on the block. You have to get Joel down low. And then he's doing that all the time, but it's easy to double and triple team and it wears him down a lot. So tonight, I think the biggest takeaway and and the thing that stood out to me was not only was there a mix of those things, but it felt like he was like making the right read and the right decision every time, which is something I don't think you could say at any point in his career, even you know that when he came out the gate swinging in eighteen nineteen, I really don't know if you can look back at a time and say I felt very comfortable in almost all of his decision making. And tonight, it felt like he had a great understanding of when to fight for mm-hmm. post position, when to pull up in the mid range, and it never felt forced. It felt like each time you were like, "All right, that's the right decision." And whether it goes in or not, you know, we're we're guys that are constantly going, okay, like that's a good shot, take it, we're fine with that. You know, it can't always be results based. A lot of the things you'll hear from, you know, these players or Doc Rivers or anybody's, you know, not everything can be results based. You have to understand that there is variance and that this is all like a probability metrics driven kind of thing at the end of the day. And you're just looking for optimal possessions and optimal opportunities. Yeah. And it felt like Joel Embiid every possession in the fourth and most of his possessions for this entire game were very, very optimal opportunities, which you just love to see. I think I might be getting ahead of myself here a little bit, but um, and I don't know if this is something you want to talk about more in depth, but that uh, Jack, Jackie McMullen article uh, you texted me about earlier today, um, one of the things they talk about, you know, Maury and Doc was, you know, two years ago when, two to three years ago when he, had you know a team consisting of Dario, JJ, Covington. He, that's arguably when he looked his best, and but also his most comfortable. And it's just he could be the best version of himself. And they're like, okay, they try to overcorrect uh, the year uh, prior's mistakes by getting Horford and making all these other signings. So, and tonight it seemed like you know he was just kind of you know back in a more just familiar role. And I think just, you know, him uh, mixing up between a mid range or, you know, going to the basket, I think just having that space and that freedom kind of, you know, makes it easier to not, you know, rely on one, you know, one shot. So, yeah, I, you, you make a great point there. I do want to talk about that article so we can pull some stuff from that to go more of your point and to kind of tie it in, especially to that, real clutch basket at the end where Ben Simmons gets the dunk on, on the dunker spot based off the gravity created by Embiid and Seth Curry. Even though Seth Curry didn't have a great night, you have to respect him as a scorer and as a shooter. And we saw that happen on that possession, and they, they get Ben wide open to basically seal the game. The the contrary argument to the 
you know, that that year, that lineup where he looked his best was, again, you can also go back to conditioning. That was the healthiest he looked. He was getting up and down the floor. Yes. That was the first time that we really weren't worried about him being in shape, at least for, you know, a good chunk of that season until the injuries came again. So I think that's where you, you still aren't sure which one is more important. I just get so pissed off at people that are just, that whole surrounding with shooters phrase. Like, you, you're not smart by saying that. I'm not saying this to you, obviously. Yeah. But, like, you know, for like 15 second intervals before my phone connects to my car, I unfortunately get sports talk radio. And I swear, the like four times it's happened to me in the last two days, which was like getting into my car to go to work, getting in my car to go home each day, I heard somebody on whichever – I don't even know which station my car is set to right now because it all sounds the same to me. It doesn't matter, yeah. It's <laughs> just, just always talking about, oh, well, yeah, they surround them with shooters and you got to have shooters and – they surrounded this guy. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, obviously, people need to be able to shoot, but that it's not that simple. Isn't no. it? Isn't it amazing how some of these radio shows are three, four, five hours long? And just like me going to my car to go to Wawa, that's two minutes away from my house. Like, you know, j- j- all it takes is fifteen seconds of something just really piss you yeah, off. Like, it's, it's it, insane, it never man. takes long. Like, it doesn't even take a whole minute. Like. You know, we have never been the guys to be like, hey, we are the best Sixers podcast. We are the only Sixers podcast, whatever. There's a lot of good ones. Like, get your content, but please get it from people that watch the games and understand the sport a little bit. Whether you think that's us or not, I don't really care. That's not my point here. But find something. Find something that's not these fucking boomers just spewing the same bullshit, acting like they even want... Like, they're all in bed right now. They didn't stay up for this. They probably turned it off when the Sixers were down, like, 12, because that's what they do. Like, whether you like how we break these things down or not, we watch basically every game. If we don't, we admit it. But, I mean, you know, let's. there's 72 games a season. We're probably going to watch 60 of them together. Yeah. And maybe we'll each miss, like, four or five, if that... So uh, it, it just blows my mind that people still want to consume content of people that, that don't pay attention. You don't have to be a fan, but you have to watch and understand. But neither here nor there. You mentioned the Jackie McMullen article, and yes, the, the reaction to them adjusting the roster came from an Embiid quote, and it was all based around when Toronto beat us in that Game 7. One of the big things was that Toronto was very successful when they had both Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka in the lineup, as well as having Pascal Siakam, Kawhi Leonard, et cetera, et cetera. So the size was a big deal. The Sixers obviously then tried to adjust between that and Giannis, and they go get Horford and and Butler and Tobias and you know all those things and try to match up that way, and it clearly never works. So now you talk about going back to what worked. And again, at the end of the day, everything's built around your best players. So whether they had shooters or not tonight, I mean, I don't think, if I'm being honest, I don't think the acquisitions of Seth Curry and Danny Green really did that much for what Joel Embiid did tonight. No. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Now, do you want this to be the formula every night? No, you don't want to be down 12 and need Joel to be this good to beat a bad Wizards team. And this isn't going to work against the top teams in the NBA and and even, you know, the majority of the projected playoff teams in the East. Uh, I know you said you didn't get the watch, but Brooklyn looked like a problem last night. Uh, Durant looked way better than I thought he would right out of the gate. Kyrie... And him had very good chemistry, and they have depth. So 
the Nets already look, again, one game, but already look to be for real. You have Boston, you have Milwaukee, you have the Heat. You still can't dismiss Toronto. I don't think they'll necessarily be a problem for us, but I really like Atlanta this year. Uh, I think Orlando is a, a good bottom of the conference team, so there, there's there's talent out here. You still have Indiana hanging around. I don't really know if I buy them this year, but they always play us tough. So you're not going to be able to get away with a lot of nights like this. Fortunately, they did. Again, all all credit due to Joel Embiid in my book. But if if we're going to try to look for that, you know, number two star of the night, I guess as far as the Sixers are concerned, I don't think you could make a case for anybody else except. Uh, Shake Milton. Oh, yeah. He was a uh, plus 33. Am I reading that right? Yes, plus 33. <sighs> which, like, plus minus can, can vary, but that that isn't. Uh, that That's insane. His 19 points off the bench were the second most on the team total. Uh, he played almost 30 minutes, so clearly showing that he's a guy that Doc Rivers already trusts. And we've talked about this in previous episodes and all the preseason uh, you know, limited preseason, but media availability quotes coming out of there was, you know, Shake bulked up, Shake's taking more steps, Shake looks really good, Shake's going to be a guy that they expect a lot out of, and not only do they need him a lot out of him just for the talent-wise, but we've talked about this too, is the contract, making such little money that if you can have him be a six-man-of-the-year guy or eventually maybe even move into the starting lineup and, and just be, the, I mean, what you got from him tonight I don't think you need any more than that. If if you get it, great. But you will take this kind of production for the entire life of that contract, and you have so much more value than than you're paying him. Wait, that, does he have three years left on that contract? Yeah, I think last year was the first one. Yeah, wow. So I think he should still have three more. So. Yeah, it was like four years, like five million over four years, something crazy. Yeah, I like mean, that. It, it, yeah, it, it's not. I think it's less than two million a year. Wow. Going to uh, crack open this Lagunitas Hazy Wonder real quick as we get to our uh, beer discussions. We did have a Bone Saw Brewing Rango 007 while we watched the end that I brought from work. Uh, if you do have any last-minute shopping needs or anything, Bone Saw's got a ton of great beer to go. They are not a sponsor, but I do work there, so support your boy. But drinking this Lagunitas Hazy Wonder, great beer. Might have had it on the pod before. 6%. Unfiltered, uh, juicy. It's got the Sabro, Citra, Cashmere, and Comet hops. Uh, a little bit of bitterness, but mostly just that that hazy kind of juice flavor. Uh, goes down real easy. And really excited that in about eight and a half months mm. we'll be uh, yes. we'll be there again in uh, the heart of Chicago. Really yes. excited to get back there. A great brewery to visit. Uh, love going to Chicago, going out there with the fellas and the ladies. Oh, yeah, and ladies. And and the ladies. Can't forget the ladies. Yeah. So, uh, cheers, everybody. Really excited uh, for, you know, season three of Process Potables for a good year for the Sixers, and, and we're going to keep getting into it. So, Shake Milton, a hell of a night. We talked about it. Another guy who, who really paired with him well, I think, uh, off the bench, and, and these two led – all bench players in men's shake. We said almost hitting 30 minutes, but my guy, Ferk on Korkmaz. Yeah, that second unit, man, was... And and here's the thing. Here's how, like, we're always real about it. Like, okay, like we we joke a lot, but I, I do truly believe that Ferk on Korkmaz is, is a solid bench player. I'm not saying he's the best player on the team. I'm not even advocating for him to be a starter, but a good bench player. When he came into this game, 
he I, I forget the order of it, but I think he had a real ugly miss on offense, or I think he turned it over. Yeah, he, he turned over his like first possession and then back down the court just absolutely plays no defense against Bradley Beal. Like just puts his arm straight up to the side of him and then gets like pushed almost yeah. off the court. And you you looked at me and you're like Furka, I'm like, yeah, not great. Like really bad start and had me worried because I thought people were gonna come after me quick. Rest of the night, dude, he came back in the, in the next two to three minutes uh, of him entering the game, had two really great defensive possessions at the rim, denying opportunities, ends up going three of six from three, ends up with 11 points. He's a plus 14. Biggest thing I don't like, but it, it does tend to kind of go like this with three-point shooters and especially a guy like him, no trips to the line. Uh, we ha- did see last year a, a decent amount of fouls on three-point shots, so... I I feel confident he can still get a couple a game, you know, two to three, hopefully. None tonight, but again, gets it done from the three-point line. Came in a little flat-footed, and then from there, really good. Two blocks, one steal. So those are the things we're talking about. So, uh, Steve, what did you see from Furkan the night that you liked? Well, Furkan definitely stuck out in that second unit. I want to say it was pretty much the end of the first and the first, like, Four, maybe even five minutes of the second quarter. It was him. It was Shake. It was Howard, Mike Scott, and uh, Maxi. Now I wonder the Shake and Maxi pairing, which is already looking pretty Looks good. Great. I mean, again, one game, but dude, like I, I mean, we even saw glimpses of it in the preseason. They just seem to complement each other so well, and with Maxi just having this, you know, knack for going to the basket and just being really creative and making these. Uh, layups and shots I just wonder if maybe that takes away from uh, Furkan's chances of getting more threes or you know getting those types of shots he got last year but I mean maybe as this uh, season progresses that second unit just keeps you know getting better together and maybe those opportunities will show up Um, especially if you know Maxi sometimes I think he's probably a little over aggressive with driving to the basket and maybe kicks the ball out every once in a while Throw the defense off. I think you know just little things like that. I mean, that's stuff that I think comes more at the NBA level. You know, you have to adjust from being a guy who had to put the weight of the world on your shoulders to coming in and realizing you're playing with a lot of other capable. Not worried about it. Yeah. One of the things to your point that worries me a little bit about that shake and maxi pairing is that I mean they again I agree they looked great together. I feel like they play a pretty similar game. And I feel like you want that on the court more separate than you do want it right, together. Yeah. And, you know, this isn't any, anything people haven't already talked about or thought of is the, is the idea of maybe eventually Shake Milton is going to end up in the starting lineup. And, and that's the type of thing is Shake looks so good off the bench. You got you want to be scared to mess with that. And then you worry about the second unit. I think Maxi's performance has to give you hope that if Shake does make that jump, to the starting lineup, that then Maxi maybe kind of fills that role. Obviously, you don't need the same responsibility on him. Shake can play, you know, like thirty minutes, so it's not that big a deal. He did that tonight. The expense of those minutes is going to come at some guys, and the first guy we were talking about late in this game because he didn't make his entrance into the game until there were forty-two seconds left, and he came in, you know, basically for a one-on-one swapping in defense for offense with Seth Curry was Matisse Thybul. We've talked a lot about this offseason, and I especially have been addressing concerns about him for quite some time. 
one game, but he clearly is not in the rotation uh, right now for Doc Rivers. And the fact that Tyrese Maxey played almost 11 minutes in this game and Matisse Thibel only saw 17 seconds all just on single defensive possessions in the final minute is very telling early of of how Doc Rivers views this rotation and who he trusts and who he likes. Is Are you concerned that Matisse Thibel... Is, is not really going to see time, or, or do you not really care? And I guess the the reason to care, and my question to you of how much you think it impacts it, is at this point then, you know, what does this do for his trade value if he can't even see the court for this team that went 10 deep tonight without him? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because for the longest time it just appeared that Thibel was completely untouchable in any trade talk. Um, now with what we've seen in a preseason and tonight's game, that certainly that thought is off the table. Um, but you do kind of worry if, you know, if he's only literally, he didn't even get a full minute of, you know, game time tonight. And if he's not on the court, no team is going to really care about his value. They're just going to be like, oh, this is another first round pick that the Sixers drafted and completely screwed up. And well, I don't. I think that's a bit much, but maybe. But it's just. It, I definitely agree that I think it hurts his value. Yeah, it's it's certainly going to uh, hurt his value, but at the same time, I mean, it should be something that motivates Thibel to just you know work on his game and do whatever he can to get on the court. And I think it's just one of those situations where, with the changing of the guard, right, going from Brett to Doc, I mean. You know, there's a new sheriff in town, and, you know, it's, everyone has a clean slate. And obviously, Doc, you know, has kind of, t- you know, alluded this before where, you know, sure, like Embiid and Simmons are not going to not be on the court. But, you know, those guys on the bench, you know, fighting for minutes, like he – those weren't the guys he drafted or signed. And, you know, he had – you know, he there's no none of that loyalty or anything. And Matisse is, you know, all over again – it's almost like he's a rookie again. He's just going to have to prove himself. And with how good Maxi looked in preseason, I don't see you know an argument for why uh, Matisse should take minutes from him. Yeah, I agree. The only, I don't think this is the case, but the only thing that would kind of be interesting is if he was being held out to make sure that nothing happens to him. Yeah, if there's already talks going on with Daryl Morey being pretty aggressive already in his time here in Philadelphia. Again, I don't think that's the case, but it'd be interesting to see if, you know, if we hear anything in the next couple of days that maybe that has something small to do with it. But the fact that no one else really, you know, fits the bill for that makes it seem unlikely to me. Do, but. do, do you think that's going to be an issue? Because I, I feel like, I don't know if this is, these are dots people are trying to connect or just, you know, maybe there is something to it, but I mean, that and Joel did not look happy at all ringing the bell tonight. Um, and then just there, you know, Doc felt the need the other day to come out and say, you know, I look, I talked to Ben Simmons about the trade rumors. It's just a business. And there's just, you know, all the smoke. Is there really any fire? I don't know. But then, then, like you said, like, I don't think it's the case either, but then Matisse is literally playing less than a minute tonight. I mean, there's a lot of things that, well, here's what I'll say. I think, I think we addressed what the actual reality is, is that Matisse is not enough on offense right now and must not be showing enough to crack this rotation. And a lot of guys played well tonight, so there probably is something to that right now. Uh, the 
talk to Simmons, you know, they may very well not be including Simmons in a deal. So that may not be a fraud. That doesn't mean they're they're not trying to make a deal. Yeah. It means they're not gonna put Simmons in it, which teams have been this vocal before and gone back on it, but I don't know, man. They seem pretty stout that they're doing this and now that you have Ben coming out and actually having quotes saying how you know he's talked to everybody and he's fine and he understands that these are all rumors and stuff and it's not that that the team has made it clear to him that's not the case it isn't going to look great if it does happen i think yeah does it matter that much no probably not but it it's still not a great look so especially when the front office had a a bit of a makeover this off season. So. And and getting back to the Jackie McMullen article, I think that the way that they talk about Doc Rivers and how he's approached them, I think lends uh what's the word? Like it makes it more credible what we heard about guys like Maury and Doc wanting to come here and at least you know, get their own opinion on the pairing of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid before they do anything drastic. And this was the quote that everybody was talking about today that I absolutely love. If you didn't hear this, this is Ben Simmons talking about Doc Rivers and and how he's coached him so far. He said, quote, I appreciate how honest he is with me. The other night he called me over in the middle of the game and said, are you going to the fucking rim or what? I like that. And... Again, we were Brett Brown guys, obviously, but especially toward the end, we started questioning, does he ever really, really push the stars here, namely Ben and Joel? We know he had good relationships with them. We knew he was starting to become very public about Ben shooting the threes, and it still didn't come to fruition, which raised even more questions about it. And this is the complete opposite. This isn't even Doc. Like When it was Brett, Brett was the only one saying it. You never heard Ben say, yeah, you know, Coach yeah. Coach Brown is really on me about shooting three-pointers. He wouldn't address it for whatever reason. And now we didn't even hear this from Doc Rivers. We heard it from Ben Simmons that Doc told him, are you going to go to the fucking rim or what? Like, that's... It's telling. W- whether you liked Brett or not, obviously we did and plenty of people didn't. Either way, you just love that mentality and you love the openness. And they talked about that in the article, too, about how, you know, Doc came in and said, listen, like, I believe in you, too, and I want to coach you, too. But you guys have to understand that you're running out of time to figure this out. And I think we all agree with that. Even if you believe in those two and you think it can work, you definitely understand that there's not that much more time to figure out if it does before it'll be too late to get any value out of breaking it up. Now, and I mean, who the, knows better than Doc Rivers? I mean, look at yeah, Lob City. Sure. Like that man, I'm, I'm part of me is still really, really surprised that team didn't win a title or at least get to the finals. Man, uh, agreed. Like, I ab- and that was I such absolutely. a fun team to watch, and it's just like, and and then just like you know, anything can happen, man. Like I mean. Doc's been there, done that, you know, from going through that kind of stuff to winning a championship. So whereas Brett didn't, he didn't have that, you know, experience or that leverage when, you know, trying to motivate or drill these guys. So, yeah, I I forget where I was, but I know I was in a hotel. I want to say I might have been in Atlantic City, but it feels like I wouldn't have been there. But I remember the uh, I was with my wife and I remember watching uh one of the years of Lob City, just watching them get eliminated in, like, the second round and being like, how is this happening again? Like, this team is so good. 
and they just always fell flat. Like, you know, we've experienced a similar thing. I don't think any year we probably had really the, I don't think any year we've been as good as that Lob City team. The, the only yeah. year obviously being uh, the year we lost to Toronto, I guess. But, uh, you know, that was kind of us peaking at the right time. I don't think I would say really at any point that season did we have the kind of hype that yeah. uh, the peak of Lob City maybe did. And, and they were also just so much fun to watch. But um, we got to talk about two guys who, who really underperformed and then the other big star of the game who we haven't talked about yet. We'll start for the Sixers and Ben Simmons a little bit and some more of the bench players. But first, a message from our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Who's the next person you know who will be buying or selling a home? Have them contact the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway for the most trusted process when it comes to real estate in New Jersey. Call today, 856-904-5636. That's 856-904-5636. And mention Process Potables for exclusive savings. So, Steve, we we do need to talk about Ben Simmons being, you know, the the real second star on this team. Still, he had a great game tonight. Again, pads the stat sheet, almost gets a triple double, sixteen points, nine rebounds, seven assists. Does it all on defense, but it felt like it felt like a a culmination of last season in a way to me because it really felt like. When this team got down, it it wasn't on him by any means, but it did feel like there was that lack of engagement again, and it, it's one of those things where I know you can't have you can't turn it on all the time. I I understand that. Believe yeah. me, you, you're not gonna be able to have all the intensity in the world for thirty plus minutes, even if you're a freak athlete like Ben, even if you're young and everything. But it took this team getting down double digits until it seemed like he really turned it on. And then the second half forced a couple of turnovers. Seemed like he was swarming passing lanes. Doing those kinds of things to get them back in the game where if he's just doing some of those things prior to that, I don't think the game gets that far away from them. Is that like, am I kind of making that up maybe and I'm just still seeing the ghosts of last year or, or am I, am I possibly on to something here? No, I, I definitely think you're on to something. Cause the thing with Ben Simmons, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll die on the hill for Ben Simmons. I love the guy. As we said, millions and millions of times, I don't give a shit about, you know, his lack of shooting a three or those types of things. I think those are the things that are not worth arguing. I think the Ben Simmons critics, the points that they do have is that, he always looks his best when uh, Joel isn't in the game. And when I mean his best, I mean when he's really taking over and just driving to the basket and getting his points where he's, you know, when he reaches his optimal level of scoring. Um, and then it just seems like like a game like tonight when MB just totally takes over in the fourth. Yes, Ben is great on the defensive end, but it almost seems like he's not really, like he's just there and he's not adding to it or, you know, I'm, I'm not... I know it sounds like really critical, but I just think sometimes he kind of just, you know, gives it all to, you know, gives all of that responsibility to Joel to just take over. And yeah, he did have that, um, you know, in the dunker spot late in the game, which was kind of the final nail in the coffin there. But I think just sometimes, and I don't know if it's an issue of him turning it on or off or, or, or what, but I, I think there is certainly something to that. Yeah. And you, 
like you said, we're not concerned about the shooting. I'm obviously with you there. We've talked about it. So my concern isn't even so much the offensive end on the floor. I'm fine with him delegating there. Like we kind of expect that. I don't if if you think that that's a, again not directed at you, but if you think that that's a problem, then I think that really becomes you don't believe in the pairing of those two, which is a whole other conversation yeah. that we're not having right now. But my biggest thing is the defense. I'm fine if this is what he's going to be as an offensive player. Obviously, I'd like him to consistently get to the line tonight. He gets there six times. He only makes two, but he gets there six times. I think I'm okay with that number, especially because he's not a great shooter. I just want I, – I, that number is indicative of him being aggressive getting to the basket to me. Yeah. That's what that number means to me. And if you can steal a couple points that way, great. But that means he's being aggressive. The biggest thing is on the defensive end. He has to be able to play that that he could be the defensive player of the year if he played more of the game at his peak. Not all of it, but more of the game at his peak. And right. if you're not going to take that next step as an offensive star, you have to be more consistent as that defensive star. I think that's got to be the biggest criticism early on and – Right, and and I don't think anyone's taken this Washington team seriously at all for the regular season, uh, but at the, they still have Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal, and if you know if someone like Ben Simmons who wants to aspire to be a defensive player of the year, I mean those are guys you got to stop. You stop just one of those two. Dog, I got I got to stop you real quick because I know you can't. Really, I, you might want to get up and see this if you can, but. We got the post games on the TV right now, and Joel Embiid is wearing the fucking weirdest hoodie that he somebody definitely bought him off of Facebook as a targeted oh ad. God. It you can Wait, see like I'm... a full baby, like inside the womb, upside down, just like fucking chilling. And it says like this Father's Day I'll be snuggled up in mommy's tummy, but next Father's Day and I can't read the rest, but I assume it means he'll be out. What the f- like? If that's not some Facebook targeted ad bullshit, that's oh yeah. weird, dude. And like, it'd be one thing if it was just the corny text, but that picture is fucking creepy. Yeah, you see and- the umbilical cord and John, you're literally staring at a fucking uterus. Like, this is some shit, bro. I'm- yeah. Like, Sorry to go off the rails here, but if you're if you're a proud new father, you you got to do the little things like wearing jean shorts, white New Balances, right? I mean, you know, shit, old make, navy, make you know, a new tank tops. make it make an Under Armour new monarch, yeah, or Air uh, Monarch. Sorry, um, the only way to save this hoodie is to put like Tristan Thompson's head on the baby. <laughs> yeah, or Hassan Whiteside, or you know, or, uh, or Russell Westbrook, or. Uh, <laughs> Andre Drummond. Yeah. Andre, Andre Drummond would be a good one. Yeah. yeah. That, I might have to figure this out. Holy shit. Sorry. But but, that... but what's going to suck, though, the the bad side is his next really bad game, it, that's going to become like a meme or something that catches fire on Twitter for, you know, a few hours probably. I mean, maybe, <laughs> but he kind of deserves it, man. I yeah. Got, what I mean... the fuck is Joel's hoodie? Yeah, dude, I... Dude. That's like that fucking uh, Zoe tweet about yeah. the kids roasting you in the streets <laughs> wearing that nut-ass hoodie. Yeah. Old head. <laughs> Fuck. All right. 
try to get I got to try and pull myself together. I don't know if I can do it. Um, <laughs> Wait, were we not recording that? No, it's all there. Oh, okay. No, I, it's all. Good, that's what that's I'm good saying. content, baby. I, I, yeah. I mean, who else? Just talk, riffing, baby. Who else is talking about that shit? <laughs> uh, all right. I want to talk about two two more bench guys before we move to uh, what maybe the last thing, which is two disappointing starters tonight. So the two bench guys we, we didn't really talk about are Dwight Howard and Mike Scott. So Mike Scott, real quick, looked okay. He played 17 minutes. He's going to get a lot of leash early for being a former Rivers guy. Yeah. I'm curious to see how long that lasts because he didn't do anything wrong tonight, but he wasn't anything special. And, you know, that's that's probably the best case for him, so it's fine. But Dwight Howard, one, I can't remember the last time that we looked at a Sixers box score and – Joel and the backup center actually made up the full forty-eight minutes. Of There's the no position. way that happened. I don't think. I don't think it ever happened. No. Uh, but my biggest thing is that I I need to see more of Dwight. And obviously tonight you needed Joel. And you know if you could play Joel all forty-eight, then obviously you fucking would. But you can't. And I really don't want to have to see thirty-five to thirty-six minutes of Joel Joel Embiid, including how much energy he exerted in the fourth against teams like this. I want him to be able to have these nights against the big teams. And Dwight was playing really well. It eight he had uh he only had four points. He pulls in ten rebounds in thirteen minutes. And it 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 was something we've talked about and it was the reason I was excited for the move was you don't I don't think you have to change too much schematically between having him and jo- him or Joel out there. Obviously, Dwight's not the guy you're going to run your offense through. That That's by no means what I mean. He's not going to space anything out, but he can protect the rim. He can get down on the block. And if anything, just based on even though he's much older, he's he's well-conditioned and, and he's done it for a while, I think he's like a more aggressive rebounder and way more willing to, you know, quote-unquote, turn garbage into gold. Yeah, and things like that, which which I love, especially for that second unit when you're talking about having these slashers and shooters like a Shake Milton, a Furkan Korkmaz, a Tyrese Maxey. I, I love the idea of Dwight Howard being out there to just feast up rebounds, especially if they're all drawing a decent amount of attention. So I, I would love to see Dwight really pushing more like, you know, 17, 18 minutes and getting Joel down to like 30. Yeah, that's what I would like to see as well. What's kind of funny, too, is just anytime he's brought up People always mention this is his 17th year, and there is the part of me that's like, shit, I'm getting old. I've been watching Dwight Howard playing basketball for 17 years. Like, I remember when he came into the league, but, I mean, he he doesn't look like a 17-year-old veteran as far as his shape and conditioning. Like, he just – I don't see him – slowing down at all and he's just he, he's there he he provides energy off the bench i i really love it um yeah that's I, actually fucking crazy right he was the number one pick in 2004 Holy yeah shit. we were still in high school dude bro yeah and he doesn't look old at all no he he has aged pretty well i mean and he's freshly fit he's freshly 35 yeah he's really not that old but I mean, you know, maybe oh, wait, he he did wait. He was drafted out of high school, though, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, okay. But, but I mean, it's still impressive, nonetheless. Yeah, it's I mean, crazy. I mean, yeah, it's 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 pretty nuts, especially with, I mean, how good he was at one point early in his career. But I mean, that's he's played eleven hundred and fourteen games. 
That's a lot, dude. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's it's impressive. And going back to, I mean, now that I think about it, maybe when we were running those rotations of Embiid and Okafor in New Orleans, I mean, maybe that totaled forty eight minutes. Um, not you know, good forty eight minutes, but. Not only is it great having Dwight where there isn't that much different or a drop-off when Embiid leaves the game and he comes in. It's just, like, these guys, like the Greg Monroe's and all, like, not only were they just bad and it's a huge drop-off, it's just their game was completely different and you had to pretty much change the offense around them. Like, like Kyle O'Quinn, he was only ever good standing at the very top of the key, passing to someone, cutting to the basket. Like, that was literally the only thing he was good at. Or, like, Amir Johnson just... He was good for one wide open three, and that was really it, it seemed like. They just had almost nothing overlap with what Embiid could do in the game and them, whereas Dwight Howard, there is a lot of that overlap. You know, you don't have to completely change the offense, and it's just, especially defensively, I mean, the output is very close to what Embiid uh, brings to the table. I just have to say that I completely disagree with you entirely because you basically started that entire thing with talking about the games of Noel and Amir and Greg Monroe, and they did not have game at all. So to (laughs) even say that you could talk about their game, they had none. That was the problem. So uh, I'm sorry to say that everything you said is complete bullshit. I stand corrected. But no, just, (laughs) just fucking with you. But so... To get to the two starters who kind of underwhelmed, I guess we'll start with Danny Green because I think we'll spend less time there and then we have to address the elephant in the room. So Danny Green only had two points, 0-4 from three, one of six on the field. And I don't know if this is going to be by design or what, but only plays 18 minutes. And I think a lot of that probably had to do with the fact that they were down and needed shake to play more. Yeah. But looked a little bit lost out there. And this is the type of team that he should have been pretty valuable against you know maybe drawing the matchup of a Bradley Beal a little bit or even maybe a Russell Westbrook being that the size matchup would be about fair obviously Russ is probably gonna blow by him too often so I, I don't know if I necessarily want that matchup but see, seems like a game that Danny Green would, would be able to draw a a relatively meaningful defensive assignment and at least hold up and I'm not really sure that we got much of that tonight, nor, nor much of anything from him. And it seems like Doc kind of already pulled that leash a little bit. Is You think this is maybe a normal occurrence and Danny Green's not going to play as much as maybe we expected? Or is this more, you know, we were down, so you need to bring in aggressive scoring. And if all things go as planned, and maybe you're having a lead that Danny Green's role then increases and he's out there as just, you know, you're – average offense and defensive balance at the wing. Yeah, from what I've read that I don't know if I want to say criticisms, but the concerns with Danny Green just for as long as he's been in the league, he's not the same three and D player he was, you know, eight years ago when he was on the Spurs. Uh and, and there was kind of signs of that just from what I've read about him, he's not going to be as intense, you know, maybe a little slower on defense especially um, and if that's the case, a, a guy that on the defensive end, if he's just a little slow, I mean, do you really expect him to contribute, you know, from three or just in any kind of score in any way? So, I mean, maybe 
it's going to be one of those things where maybe throughout the regular season we just see a bad Danny Green game because he's getting old. But, yeah, I mean, if if that's kind of what happens, I, I mean, I I do like that about Doc. He's, well, at least with certain plays, it's, it seems like he's that way. He wasn't like this with Tobias tonight, but, I mean, Danny Green's just like, all right, Dude, we need scoring. You're our, you know, number two, number three guy. Like, and then you know, here, here comes Shake Milton that you know gives you a great game. So I think there's going to be both that, you know, we might see this game a few more times, and then I think Doc is definitely going to be quick to you know pull that trigger and put him on the bench. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, I didn't yeah. have super high expectations for him, I guess, but obviously this is this is yeah, well. and, it's, and it's one game, and he's a vet and. He is coming off having played longer than everybody else, having been in the finals, him and Dwight as well. So maybe you ease them in a little more uh, as as they're both up there in age and definitely had more tread last season than anybody else that you're working with. So yeah. maybe there's something to that. I don't know. I'm not super worried about it, but really would have liked to see a little bit better. Both him and Seth Curry, pretty, pretty underwhelming tonight. Seth definitely bounced back in the second half and had a lot to do with us getting back in this one with some offense, but really hoping both of them, the, the longer they're here, the more they get acclimated. You'd hope that they're at least going to look like most of what you expected to get from, if not, you know, maybe slightly less as, as is always generally the case in acquiring anybody to come and play right. for this team. But the elephant in the room and somebody that I've been trying to <laughs> just stay on, on the positive and, you know, we're we're doing this all on one game. We'll say it a couple more times probably, but boy, like what a fucking disaster Tobias Harris was tonight. Yeah. I don't really know what to do about it. The shot not falling. He had a lot of good looks. And you could tell early on, I mean, it wasn't even the shot not falling. I mean, he looked lost out there. His decision making, something is wrong with it because I think I don't know if it was back-to-back offensive possessions or very, very close, if not, but you know, two different charges where it it looks like he is. I, I don't know if this makes sense, but it it looks like he's deciding. Like it looks like he has already decided what move he's gonna make before really evaluating if yeah. it's the right move or not. Like most guys have to make that decision in an instant and. You know, you think about Joel with like a spin move or a Euro step. Like there was the one possession late in the game that I actually, you know, questioned and we saw the replay and I realized that I think he made the right move. And again, we talked about Joel making a lot of the right decisions tonight, but he was driving to his right against Robin Lopez. And I thought that he just had the angle to the rim and he spins back left and puts it up. And I was like, I don't think he needed to do the spin move. And then you see it, and no, he did. Robin Lopez was able to kind of get in front of him, and you have to feel that. Like you're, you're using, you know, he's lowering his shoulder, you know, kind of bullying him, and he's feeling where he's at, and that that becomes like muscle memory. You you start to learn that once that guy is centered on you, if you feel like you're in like the center of his chest, that then you use that momentum and you kind of turn him off you. And, and continue to move to the rim. We saw Tobias try and drive baseline and Euro step to the left away from the rim. Yeah. And the defender was there. Like, it seemed like he went in and said, okay, if somebody comes at me, I'm Euro stepping, not, 
okay, I'm going to address how this guy comes out to defend me, and then I'm going to naturally react. And it's making him look completely out of place. And I think that those things and the noise from the contract and all these things are impacting one of the few things he should be able to do regardless, which is shoot. Yeah. I think because one of his biggest criticisms, especially last year, was that he never drove to the basket. And why that's so important is because obviously not just because the more you go to the basket, the better you get. But absorbing and playing with that kind of contact in the paint is a skill in of itself. Like you said earlier, Joel Embiid just nat- – like the spin move he did, like it almost – it almost looked like he didn't have to do it, but that's because he just had this instinct from, you know, playing, you know, you know, for so many years now that, you know, that's the move he needs to make against a guy that big. And to me, it seems like when Tobias, I just, maybe he's overthinking his decision-making and kind of what you said, it's like he thinks about what he's doing too early in the process of making a move to the basket. And, if I'm not mistaken, I think the the one play that was one of two offensive uh, fouls he committed within two or three possess uh, two or three possessions. So, it to me it almost seems like he he's overthinking it, and I just it, some of the moves he makes just are unnecessary, or it's just he's a uh, you know giving up a, a good look to make an even worse look. If that makes any sense, I just. Uh, the way I it just to me, it seems like he's just overthinking things. I don't know. Well, yeah, that definitely has to be something to do with it. And I actually thought like this was one of the things I defended him for last season that I felt like was misconstrued by most people was I thought last season he improved on getting to the rim and he improved on his aggressiveness. And that was one of the things that like led me to keep trying to defend him was I thought that those things got better. The biggest issue I had with it last season was he and and you talked about this was he wasn't initiating contact, so he would drive, which was good because people were chasing him off his spot because he was really kind of known as just a, a spot up catch and shoot guy, and they were chasing him off the spot, and he was and he learned to put it on put it on the floor and dribble a little bit and get to a shot. Now the next set would have been to continue to do that, but also draw contact and get to the line. Where if if there's one thing that it appears he can still do right now, it's shoot the free throws. So if he can just get there, then he doesn't have to feel as much pressure about making sure every shot goes in because he can get cheap points at the line, which is really kind of one of the, the knacks of this team and something that yeah. obviously this team wants to do, having Joel Embiid, and would definitely become the mark for this team if they actually ended up acquiring a James Harden who lives at the free throw line as well. I don't care if this team has to win every game by shooting a million free throws. I don't care. I I, I talked to our, our, our friend Dan, Dan's bad tweets, and he was like, like, I don't think I'd be able to watch this team with Harden because it's just it's a miserable brand of basketball to me. And I was like, I have always said that, you know, there are things that you know, I obviously enjoy watching, and there's styles I don't necessarily enjoy as much, but I want to watch the Sixers win. I'll watch them play whatever way it takes for them to win Yeah, if they if they, if they win a goddamn title. I'll watch whatever. I'll watch paint dry. Yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of like they always say in baseball that, you know, chicks dig the long ball. Like, hey, if, if, if the Phillies had good starting pitching that wins you games and not someone who can hit, you know, home runs, and th- right. that's fine if that's what gets you the title, sure. But I guess that's kind of the equivalent in basketball, right? If you just live at the, you know, free th- – 
free throw line and games are an extra 20 to 30 minutes longer because all these stoppages at play. I, mean, I don't give a fuck how they do it, man. Just just think of, who, I mean, what two guys have won the most titles in, in you know, the last 15 years? I mean, it's pretty much LeBron and Kawhi, right? Yeah. Uh, don't those guys get a fuck ton of calls? Yeah. Like, I know maybe they're not the most, uh, like, they don't have the most attempts at the line, but they sure get there a lot, and they're and they're stars, so they get calls. So, it, there there's obviously a a correlation between getting to the line and winning. Now, there's also a correlation between being having that star power and being able to get to the line. But you, you do still have to earn that. And we and we you know we've seen Joel Embiid come up through and do that early in his career. He was not getting a lot of these foul calls he gets now. Yeah. And, and he's earned the right and he's proven time and time again that he can draw them. And he's made it very clear that that's, you know, to, to steal from our, our friend Corey and Power Rose Potable, that's a gimmick of his. It's a great gimmick. It's yeah. a great gimmick. Yeah. It works. Like, it, that. do the gimmick. Gimmick it up, brother. I I don't know how to explain it. I just enjoy it when MB just completely dominates someone like like a Robin Lopez. He's just uh, watching tonight's game. I kind of realized, you know, what? he he's just one of those hate the face guys. See, like I, I just I, I completely agree. And and funny because I just talked about you know what I talked about with Dan and like Robin Lopez seems like one of those guys that maybe it would actually tear at my conflict of as long as the Sixers win, I'll enjoy watching it because I don't think that I could enjoy watching him, whether he was successful or not. Like if you're like, Hey, Robin Lopez will be your backup center and he'll get you 10 and 10 and he'll be very efficient on your second unit. I'd be like, nah, no, that's okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I want to watch it because it's just, there's nothing to it. Like Dwight is at least exciting. Like we saw Dwight hammer a couple dongs and Dwight's like, Kind of funny, kind of weird now. Got a technical foul. Yeah, got a, got a really weird tech that scared the shit out of me because yeah. I thought him and Beal were going to shoot, and I'm like, that's not fair. But yeah. thank God it cancels it cancels out. But, yeah, like at least there's some entertainment factor to a, to a Dwight Howard. There, there's nothing from a guy like Robin Lopez. Like, that shit's just miserable. I, I have no interest in that nope. whatsoever. That's kind of how I feel about, like, uh, I'm trying to think of who's kind of like him. Like, Alex Len. Would be another guy that comes to mind who I think is with the Raptors now. Yeah. Like, he's fucking annoying, and he gives Embiid fits, and I just, like, you know, maybe being a pest to another team center would, like, be interesting, but his game just isn't fun at all. No. Like, Harden going to the line 12 times, watching him shoot the free throws isn't really fun, but watching him get there is kind of entertaining at least. So, And Embiid getting there is obviously a trip between tonight yeah. and people screaming at him about his swim moves. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, so obviously, you know, good, good to get the start. Uh, start the season with a win. They play again. I think Saturday against the Knicks, is that right? Pulling it up now. Beauty of having this nice new computer. They play at the Knicks seven thirty on Saturday. I don't know where to look. Uh, Knicks on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. At the Knicks on Saturday, back to back. Oh boy. Yeah, and and that's the question is: Are are we even going to give a shit about the uh, you know Dallas game? No. Okay. Yeah, as I was say, Sixers well, play the Cavs at seven thirty. So I don't give like... a shit about the game. I want to watch Jalen Hurts. He is worth That's watching. Fair. He is yes. worth watching. Yeah, I don't give a shit about the game. Yeah, kind, kind of a lot like uh, you know Embiid and you know other guys in the early <laughs> process years. Don't yeah. give a shit about the results. Just want to see the process. Sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, 
you know, we we are fans of the teams, obviously, but we really love some of these players too, and that was a big thing through those process years. Was you know, you still want the Sixers to eventually do well, but you were taking joy in just you know having relationships with these players, which is why I think there's a lot of uh, conflict in the idea of a Ben Simmons trade. Is you've grown and watched the yeah. guy, and you know you you have emotional attachment to that, and that's understandable. And it makes it, uh, it, it no matter what you say, it definitely impacts your your ability to be completely unbiased in talking about any kind of uh, swap or trade or anything. It definitely impacts that whether you want to admit it or not. Yeah, and and say all the bad shit you want about Ben Simmons. Like, who would you rather have, like, Donovan Mitchell? Like, come on. Like, no. You know, fuck out of here. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so with the Harden strip club news and everything today, uh, <laughs> I, was, I, I was talking to Ty, and I was like, well, the funny thing is it sure seems like Harden is trying to, you know, find his way out of Houston. But in my experience, if you're telling me, you know, I want to go where the strip clubs are better, then I think I'd be staying in Texas. I I know a guy who has told me the the same thing from being at Texas strip club. So yes, that's you were from someone I know. I wouldn't know personally. I've never been there, but just yeah. saying, I, I can confirm. Yeah, that. but yeah. And, but in all seriousness, it's just a lot of people are just thinking, "Oh, great, we're going to get harder now. It's going to happen." I'm like. Remember the last time we traded for a guy who desperately wanted out of his team and city and then just would berate people at practice? Like, well, there's. I, I, I hate these, you know, no, sayings know. and idioms of how history repeat itself, but if there's one sports city where history tends to repeat itself, it's fucking Philadelphia. That's a great point. That's definitely so, fair. My, my only thing with, I mean, I have said, and I, and I hate to harp on it, but it doesn't make sense that you have to give up Ben Simmons now for uh, an elite shooting guard when you could have just kept an elite shooting guard and kept Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. But obviously it seems like, even though we're, we're, we're never probably going to be too sure, it sure seems like the writing on the wall was that Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler weren't going to coexist. So the only contradiction to your point now is that if Ben Simmons is leaving for James Harden and you're eliminating the idea that bringing in a a ball-dominant guard is going to create an issue with Ben Simmons because you're sending Ben Simmons out to get him. Yeah. So you know, if you're if you're if you're about that deal, then you know maybe that's the uh, the case to make. But uh, I still don't know. I mean, I you know some of our listeners have you know DM'd me or asked me what I think, and as far as I'm concerned, as a Sixers fan, my thought is fuck James Harden. He's not on my team. I love Ben Simmons. If I wake up tomorrow and find out James Harden is a Sixer, then. I'm not going to say fuck Ben Simmons, but I'm definitely going to be like, all right, well, you know, let's go to work, James Harden, big fan. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm going to support the guys on my team, uh, unless obviously there's some there's some real fucked up stuff, but uh, for the most part, I'm going to support the guys on the team. And then you know, if the guys leave, then maybe we still root for them. We obviously still like TJ and Rocco and Dario. Like that's all well and good. So I ne- yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not going to hate Ben Simmons if he gets traded. But, uh, you know, as of right now, James Harden is not on my team, so I don't really give yeah. a fuck about James Harden. Just imagine if we were not in a world filled with a pandemic right now, James Harden comes to Philadelphia, the press conference could be at the breakfast buffet at Delilah's. Like God, just, I, w- I mean, I mean I, I've already gone on record of saying that I will be the guy that has to scour the locations once he arrives in town to uh, get the footage of where yeah. he went first. You know, yeah. I take no pleasure in doing that job. 
simply business. Right. Uh, but I, I do know where all the establishments are. I am familiar with them. I am familiar with protocol. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I will I will shoulder that burden. Nobody has to worry about it. I, I can handle it. And James, I, he's got a lot of money. And listen, you know, Sixers Adam can't get in there. That's so true. he can't fucking do it. So yeah. uh, I think it's going to have to be me. Yeah. yeah. So, sorry, Adam. It is what it is. Well. Uh, <laughs> so we said <laughs> Saturday they're at the Garden, 730. Sunday they're at Cleveland. So back to back, both 730. Dude, 730 Sunday is going to suck. Yeah. That's really going to suck. I don't feel like doing that after <sighs> four days off. Yeah. Oof. Okay. Uh, but. Then they get back home Tuesday against the Raptors. Uh, we'll probably uh, – we'll figure when we're going to do this. It's fucking Christmas. Who knows what's going to happen. But uh, that's all I got for this one, Steve. Uh, we're we're right at about an hour, which I'm pretty happy with. Is there anything that uh, I missed that you might want to touch on real quick? I think quick? we covered it all, man. Yeah, I, th- I think we got it. I mean, this was, this was pretty fucking sporadic, but uh, I had a great time. Maybe rename the episode to I know it's only one game, but – Ooh, <laughs> late, late contender at the end. Yeah. <laughs> that might, it, it, it's, it will be really funny if we name it that and then people hear at the beginning and that's not what I say. I know usually in these podcasts, the thing or phrase I say the most is, you know, it's funny that, you know, but tonight, tonight was definitely, I know it's one game, but. Yeah, we said it a lot. Yeah. That's so. very fair. And that might have to be it. Uh, I'll <laughs> think about it because I'm not touching this thing until the morning, so. Uh, since no one will listen to this tomorrow, you know, happy holidays, uh, you know, Merry Festivus. Is it Merry Festivus or Happy Festivus? It's Merry, right? I think so, yeah. I think it's still Merry Festivus. Uh, we got some grievances out. I'm sure we'll have some more. Uh, whatever you celebrate, you know, Merry Christmas. Uh, is, is Hanukkah still going? I think Hanukkah's over. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I don't know. Um, I should be more cultured. But that's going to do it. So for Steve, I'm Dan. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure that you follow us on all the socials, Instagram, Twitter, Untapped. You can find everything, Process Potables, at www.processpotables.com. Check out lastoutmedia.com for blog posts from a lot of talented writers. I wrote one uh, for best and worst case scenarios for all the Sixers. Recently, I'm hoping that we'll get some more Sixers content up ourselves there uh, in the form of writing and things like that and hopefully uh, figure out once life possibly returns to somewhat uh, normal conditions that we may still be continuing our partnership with the Blue Coats. So hoping to get back down to the field house and hang out and, and bring you some news from the G League affiliate of the Sixers as well. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and trust the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>